Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The decision of whether to go for a first down on fourth down can be one of the most dramatic in all of football, depending on the circumstances. Dr. Michael Roach, an associate professor of economics and finance, has co-authored a study on the propensity of college football coaches to go for it on fourth down, as opposed to punting or kicking a field goal. The study finds that coaches' career considerations factor into their fourth down decisions. We'll call a timeout and think it over after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU officials gave an Ecuadorian couple the keys to their new home on East Castle Street in Murfreesboro on January 8th. The 1,200-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath home is part of a partnership between MTSU Habitat Build and Rutherford County Area Habitat for Humanity. About 150 students worked on the residence. This is the eighth Habitat Build that MTSU students and organizations have helped build since 2007. Members of the MTSU community raise an average of $20,000 to $22,000 toward the cost of each house. And more than 5,440 MTSU students are included on the latest Dean's List for their academic achievements for the fall 2019 semester. To qualify for the Dean's List, a student must maintain a current semester grade point average of 3.5 or above and earn at least 12 semester hours. The Dean's List notation applies only to undergraduate students. MTSU updates the list after each semester ends and student grades are posted. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Michael, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Now, without getting into the nuances of quantitative formulae, with which neither I nor the public is familiar, how did you calculate the probability of college football coaches going for it on fourth down? Well, so we looked at the aggregate number of fourth down attempts over the course of a season and then sort of controlled for uh, game situations in which you would be more likely to go for it on fourth down. So we could sort of get a baseline level for an individual coach mm-hmm. in, in a given season about how many times you would expect them to go for it. And then we wanted to see if that if there was variation off of that baseline based on a situation if they were in a about to be fired or, you know, in a situation where they could reasonably expect to be on the hot seat or in a situation where they might be up for, uh, you know, to be a candidate for a a better job or a more attractive job. So now the, you did have a way of determining which coaches were on the hot seat and which ones were on the short list, not just what gets reported in the media because there's speculation about the coaching carousel all the time, but there is a, a way you could quantify that, right? Right. Yeah. So it was basically, a process of looking at historical data, looking at coaches who were, uh, you know, with their records over their performance over time uh, and kind of instances when coaches got fired versus when they were retained. And sort of based on information going into the season, we constructed an index of how likely it was that that coach would be fired at the end of the year. So you can kind of quantitatively rank who's on the hottest seat sort of based on the historical record of who got fired and who got retained. And although most of the coaches would be somewhere in the middle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there is the occasional wild hair coach on either extreme, like 
Joe Paterno before the Penn State scandal, who you knew was going to be there forever, mm-hmm. regardless, because he's an institution, or uh, Les Miles at LSU, who all the sports guys in the bar are going, that crazy son of a gun, he'll go for it on 4th and 50 from his own ten. You know, right? Yeah, no. So there, we tried to account for that as 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 well as we could. We included uh, the coach's tenure at the given school as a predicting factor because, like you say, sometimes if someone's been there for a really long time, they're not going anywhere unless it's sort of their own decision to do that. Um, and yeah, so there's sort of a sweet spot. A lot of times, coaches are you know the the idea is that coaches are usually given used to be four years. They used to want college coaches to get all their own players and now now uh institutions seem to have a quicker trigger but they're it's sort of uh important how long they've been at the school in terms of how likely they are to be fired it's relatively rare for someone to be fired after their first year on the job it happens it's it's happened a number of times Uh, and the other sort of thing you have to look at you have to be clear about the whether the coach was actually fired or whether like the reason for turnover right so you know because coaches change jobs all the time uh, it's a big difference between whether they leave for a, a better job or they leave because they were forced out due to their performance. So we had to be careful about distinguishing between those two cases. Since there are situations in which it would never be prudent to go for it, really, uh, including, you know, long yardage to make the first down, being deep in your own territory, wouldn't it be logical to see coaches being conservative in most fourth down situations? Right. Yeah. So in general, that's going to be true. Um that you know, there's certain situations where it makes sense to go for it or or not. Uh, it has been shown through through other studies that coaches tend to be too conservative, even accounting for distance and game score and all that sort of stuff. Coaches tend to be too conservative relative to what would maximize their chances of winning the game. So that's sort of a general thing that you see. And so most most people's baselines uh, is is well on the. Uh, the side of things where they don't go for it nearly often enough. That started to change a little bit in recent years. You see coaches being a little bit more aggressive, uh, but generally speaking, even though it's not a good thing to do all the time, coaches tend to um, be more conservative than they should be if their if their only focus is is winning the game. What about other considerations unique to a team, like you know the coach's confidence or lack thereof in his offensive line, the extent of injuries, and to whom his field goals kickers accuracy or lack thereof all these go into the decision about whether or not to go for it on fourth down don't they mm-hmm. yes we so we account for the kicking game we're basically looking at season level aggregate data uh, but we can aggregate sort of how effective that their kicking game actually is in that and so that's that's accounted for in the in the uh, estimates that we produce you're talking about both field goal kicking and uh, the punting game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you have a really good punter, all of a sudden it kind of changes the calculus a little bit, right? If you have right. a, a punter that's really, really good, um, you know, there's more benefit to punting and less benefit to, to going for it, relatively speaking, than if, if you had a bad punter. Yeah. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. 
The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. With the football season winding down, at least pro-wise, the college game is already over for the year. We're talking about going for it on fourth down with Dr. Michael Roach, an associate professor of economics and finance who has co-authored a study on the propensity of coaches to go for it on fourth down in the college game. Your co-author is named Mark F. Owens. Uh, Let me state right here that your co-author is not Mark Owens, our sports information director, who just happens to have the same name. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, by these calculations, it seems as though you're saying that that the coaches are putting their career considerations over their players and their school's best interests. Can that be inferred from this research? Well, yeah, that's essentially what we're trying to test, right? So we're basically trying to test whether whether there's some sort of agency issue going on where the individual incentives of the employee, in this case, the coach, and those incentives are to retain their job or to maybe audition for a better job, mm-hmm. seem to have a measurable influence on on these decisions. It's a statistically significant effect. So yeah, that's that's basically what we're attempting, attempting to measure. And we talk about kind of reasons why that might be the case, but um, I think it's a pretty logical story, right? You talk about, you know, uh, people in various professions, you know, trying to, uh, you know, sort of, you know, cover their own, uh, co- cover themselves. Yeah, exactly. And kind of retain their, retain their job. It's, it's, I think something that's, that's relatively intuitive. And so we wanted to look at it in a situation where there's sort of an observable track record about the decisions mm-hmm. that these people are making. But consciously, I mean, there may be a subconscious element to it, but in the game in real time and it's fourth down, a coach isn't sitting there thinking, oh, what if I go for it and I blow it? I won't get that job at Arizona or wherever he's thinking about it. Yeah, I think it is probably a subconscious thing. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah. The palaver over whether a coach should have gone for it on fourth down after the play is run uh, run can be really intense among the Mm -hmm. fans, among the boosters, in the media, and like the pressure can, can really build just based on one call that didn't really work. As a football fan, not as an economist, how much do you think it weighs on his mind when he's preparing for an opponent? I mean, I think generally their focus is on winning the game. Like in sports, probably more so than in many industries, there's all these mantras about controlling what you can control and like dealing with what's directly in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think on a day in, day out basis, they probably subscribe to to that and, and try to, you know, mm-hmm. sort of follow that example, follow the the prescription of that mantra. But um, but yeah, I do think the where the consideration comes in has to do with with what you're talking about, which is people looking at the decision after the fact. And if you make an aggressive play where you go for it, there is a very clear failure if it doesn't work out, right? It's sort of an unambiguous uh, failure, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you choose to punt, you're basically, you know, the game continues on. Maybe you win, maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't a great decision, but there's not a specific moment where it was obvious that it was a bad decision, right? So I think mm-hmm. that's sort of where it comes in, a sort of on the riskier end of things, the going forward end of things, there's a clear success and a clear failure. And if you're already in a position where you think you might, uh, you have, you've got some career concerns, you might overweight 
sort of that second guessing that comes when the when the bad realization actually occurs when you when you go for it and lose and you have this very salient failure on the other hand if you go for it and you make it on fourth down the psychic returns uh, aren't really all that great the the you know the play-by-play guy will say oh that what a gutsy call that was mm-hmm. and then it quickly leaves the consciousness right exactly so yeah i think there's sort of an asymmetry in the psychology that sort of explains uh sort of why we see what we see uh what's the calculus with regard to uh going for it and making it i mean how do you tell whether or not uh the odds are with you in making it on fourth down and uh, whether uh you if you went for it on fourth down more often there would be a greater rate of success than perhaps the coach is thinking there's a thing called win probability where at any point in the game uh given kind of the i guess it's a function of the vegas line and it's mm-hmm. a function of the score and the situation and where you are right mm-hmm. um and so you can basically look at what the change in win probability would have been if you would have made it versus the change in win probability if you actually don't go for it and kick. So there's ways that people have been able to tease tease that out um, and kind of think about all of the effects of, of going for it. Because just because you make it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to score any points, right? So there's right. a chance that you risk something the risk actually worked out, but it doesn't ultimately pay off. Um, so all that's factored three, in. Yeah, you can end up three and out on the next series. Ex- exactly, right? So uh, all the sort of the likelihood of all those things occurring get rolled into that win probability number. Uh, and people, that's sort of a common way that people will evaluate that. We'll take another break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The paper is published in the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization, co-written by our guest, Dr. Michael Roach, uh, from the Department of Economics and Finance, about the probability of uh, career decisions uh, affecting a coach's decision on whether or not to go for it on fourth down in college (laughs) football. You bring up some academic theories that I find really fascinating. Behavioral ecology Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, the difference between the number of calories an animal expends and the number of calories the animal consumes uh, goes into the survival instinct. And this also applies in the employee-employer relationship, how an employee approaches his job. And a coach is an employee of the college or in the NFL of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we are akin to our animal friends insofar as the cost-benefit analysis that we do uh, with regard to our jobs is mm-hmm. concerned. Right, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I think it kind of 
makes sense when you think about survival, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're in the more desperate the situation that you're in, the more risks you would think you would take. Because basically what you want, if you're in a situation uh, where you're sort of below the performance threshold where you're going to keep your job, you want to basically dial up the risk as much as possible because, you know, fattening... I'm not trying to speak probabilistically about that, but there's a greater chance of ending up on the on the good side of that threshold if you kind of widen the distribution of outcomes. Mm -hmm. So you basically want to dial up risk um, when you're in a desperate situation. That's sort of the the ecology ecology situation. So that would have led to coaches who were sort of fearing being fired taking more fourth down risks. We actually find uh, the opposite of that, right? Mm -hmm. So we end up finding. Uh, people becoming more conservative that, that sort of jives with this theory of uh, trying to avoid some kind of salient failure, right? right? That situation where you want to not be perceived as having, um, you know, taking sort of a risk that someone else wouldn't have taken that ultimately didn't work out. So yeah. you want to kind of sort of follow the herd, basically. You want to sort of join, uh, you know, basically uh, proceed with the status quo, basically not make a decision that was objectionable on the front end and then second guessed on the back end. So you just avoid that whole headache. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be what we're actually observing for the, for the people who uh, sort of are in the situation where they are expecting that mm -hmm. there's a chance of, of being fired. You also talk about um, investment decisions with regard to herding. Uh, is there sort of a group think mentality within the coaching fraternity that says, yeah, you know, I'm really tentative about going for it on fourth down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just sort of, you know, you sort of develop tendencies. Like if you grew up playing football or, you know, on a coaching staff, you sort of emulate the way the decisions have been made sort of over time. So you sort of start out, you know, at the status quo, unless you've sort of, you know, developed a, a different way of thinking about it. Sort of your starting point would generally be how coaches typically behave. Um, and yeah, what we're finding is that they tend to deviate they they want to be more conservative, essentially deviate less from that conservative status quo when things get desperate, right? It's sort of uh, it's sort of the idea with the with the fund managers. It's it's the same sort of thing. The idea that you have a less risky portfolio or a, a portfolio that's sort of closer to the market portfolio when you don't want to stick out as having made some terrible decision, right? So you mm -hmm. kind of take less risk when you, when you think that, uh, yeah, that your job might be on the line. Yeah. And while the fans may say, well, the players play the game, the coaches don't play the game. You cite a study that uh, estimates that the quality of an NFL coach can account for an additional three to four victories per season. So the chess game is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those coaching decisions matter a whole lot. Not obviously the, the fourth down decisions, not, the only strategic decision the coach makes. I mean, they've got a, a lot of levers to pull as a result of uh, things they do throughout the week. It's not just their in-game management of down and distance or their in-game um, uh, clock management or anything like that. Although that is a that is an important part. So the decisions of these of these employees, these highly paid employees, mm -hmm. does have a bearing on kind of the ultimate outcome for the for the organization. And you were able to express fourth down conversion attempts as a percentage of fourth down decisions faced, right? Right, right. That's sort of that season-long average to sort of get at their tendency to actually go for it. So the sort of down and distance stuff has a way of, of evening out over the course of the season. And so we're looking at variation in that, in that season-long level. Now, in crucial fourth down situations, 
nine times out of ten, and this is just me being anecdotal, I don't have any research to back this up, the fans will scream for their favorite team to go for it. Is that any kind of a consideration? I don't know. I mean, I would think it would be, right? Like, if, especially if you are concerned with retaining your job, you kind of want fan enthusiasm for you. Like, you know, even if, if they sort of see you as someone who um, is bold and they like that, maybe that would be something that would, that would sort of push you in that direction. Uh, but it, it seems like in the aggregate, if you kind of weigh in all of these career concern factors, uh, it seems to be that when, when you think that uh, there's a good chance of, of losing your job, you end up going back to being more conservative. And that's, that's what we find anyhow. Well, it, this uh, particular thing I found sort of counterintuitive. You state coaches with lower salaries are more likely to be dismissed for performance reasons and more likely to find a more attractive job. I would think that the that the school would want to get rid of a non-performing coach who is vastly overpaid so mm -hmm. they wouldn't have to eat that contract. Well, there's usually the it's the eating of the contract that's sort of the issue, right? Like if you get if you fire a highly paid coach, oftentimes there's a lot of a lot of dollars that you have to pay that person not to coach and so it's less costly oftentimes if someone's a, a relatively lower like if someone's a lower paid coach, there's there's less of a, a buyout that's that's in place. So that that could be a factor as far as that goes too. you know, there's some upsides to looking at college football downsides. But the the money thing is definitely one of them that's that's tricky from a from the perspective of college football. And you, you state that less than two percent of head coaches are fired after their first year and less than three percent of coaches who make it to a second year are fired after that year. Mm -hmm. So the third year would seem to be a really important year year for a coach who is attempting to build or rebuild uh, a program right. and that might be uh, where the career considerations really come into mm -hmm. play in these fourth down situations that's right that's so that's why we have to control for sort of uh, what what we characterize as the tenure in your current job because because of that factor right there. I mean, typically when a coach is brought in, it's because the situation is not ideal and they're sort of, and they're given a couple of years to at least put the product on the field that they're, uh, that they're thinking that they'll be able to do. So typically there's a little bit of leeway those first couple of years. And in your study, 23 out of the top 40 coaches on the hot seat did not return for the following season. And 17 out of the top 40 on the hot seat did not return for the following season when you consider the hazard estimates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just kind of went back and, you know, because we were basically running a model to predict this index, right? And we wanted mm -hmm. to just do a sanity check against what actually happened. And it, you know, did a, a pretty good job of, of evaluating who, uh, mm -hmm. who was at, at risk of getting fired. Mm -hmm. uh, when, you think about uh, coaches and uh, how uh, statistically oriented the uh, big game is today, the Division One A game. Mm -hmm. Everybody is keeping stats on everybody else. Everybody's keeping stats on themselves. All kinds of stats, all kinds of metrics down to uh, minutia. Do you think that the economic models that you and your colleague have uh, provided here have a place in helping uh, sports teams uh, make decisions that they need. I mean, not that they have to go out and hire an economist, right. but that uh, the people on their staff who are statisticians would have some uh, expertise in these types of economic equations. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely think that that's true to sort of the 
the amount of data that teams can employ to improve team performance mm -hmm. has grown quite a bit, even just in the last 10 years. A lot of it's even, you know, data, not even just what happened on the play. I mean, they track in various sports, they track player movements and all this sort of stuff. I mean, they've got really uh, detailed data that they can put to use to try to um, improve team performance, right? So that's a that's sort of a, a phenomenon that's true across um, across sports and across levels of sports, right? The more analytically oriented you can, the the you know the more uh, analytics you can you can do, um, you know, the better is sort of the philosophy that a lot of these these teams have. Um, I'm sort of coming at it from a little bit different angle in the sense of I'm trying to evaluate something that is occurring in the world of sports, but may generalize to something beyond sports. So some economic phenomenon that might be able to be observed with it, with sports data, uh, simply because these observation, these decisions are clear and observable, uh, and sort of see if the effect is there. And so maybe it's something that, that matters for other, for other industries. But so I think, um, so there's sort of a difference between the economist angle where you're sort of thinking about how these things generalize kind of, uh, and the analytical angle where it's all about how can I use this data to make my team better, right. To, right. to perform better. I think there's a lot of overlap and I'm obviously I'm, interested in all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. I, I kind of think about these things um, in that same way. And yeah, I think that um, it's definitely true that statisticians and economists and other sort of uh, quantitatively inclined people can can take that sort of granular data and really uh, run some models that help teams, teams do better. But on the other hand, like you say, you can take the formulae and also apply it not only to sports, but apply it to how a middle manager in a company and a coach is, mm -hmm. in effect, a middle manager, right. uh, uh, handles risk, mm -hmm. manages risk, uh, his or her own job considerations, how do they factor mm -hmm. into what sort of a risk he or she takes with the company's money, the company's right. resources, mm -hmm. uh, the company's personnel, that right. kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it kind of goes back to the whole fund manager sort of thing, right, and the mm -hmm. riskiness of the decisions that they make as far as what what assets to, to buy up. Up and you know, kind of the the composition of their portfolio. That's another place where it's relatively observable, right? Mm -hmm. You can see the decisions that they make, uh, and so it sort of maps onto this uh, this type of analysis pretty well. So this is another another situation where you can get at that same question uh, in a way that I think a lot of people have some you know casual experience with football. They enjoy it, and I so said I think it's something that sort of you know kind of brings the that economic phenomena to, to life a little bit. The article is titled Decision Making on the Hot Seat and the Shortlist Evidence from College Football Fourth Down Decisions, uh, published in the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization. Dr. Michael Roach from the Department of Economics and Finance. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There is no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
Gina Fan has the middle moment. Country music entertainer and former MTSU student Chris Young praised the grit and determination of the university's final class of 2019 at our recent fall commencement, reminding the graduates that they'll always use the skills that earned them their degrees. So let's talk about perseverance. That's how you guys gained all this knowledge. On hard nights where you're operating on little to no sleep, getting things done, putting in work that no one is aware of, that's all on you. And you should be incredibly proud of that. All the work that you did that no one sees, that is the thing that will separate you from everyone that didn't do it. It's really easy to talk about the hard work you want to do. It's much more difficult to actually put that time in, to really dig deep on days that you don't want to. That's the perseverance that will make the difference in your life. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.